0: Unfortunately, as a woman, I feel you have to be even stronger. You have to know it even more because we're already at a disadvantage. And as a black woman, I'm even more at a disadvantage. So I have to have those numbers together. I have to be able to articulate them correctly and know exactly what I'm talking about. Because if I come in and say, oh, I, I'm not sure what did you mean by that? And I know it in my head, but I don't know what on out. They're not listening to you.
1: Are you aware that only 40% of women's wear fashion brands are designed by women? And 14% of the 50 fashion brands are run by women? Here's another fact. Less than 0.5% of Black female entrepreneurs receiving venture capital funding. Black females are at a major disadvantage. My guest today is Stacy Martin. She is the founder and CEO of Stacey Martin Lifestyle and she is here breaking down barriers and busting through ceilings to bring a much-needed change in the fashion industry. Stacey Martin Lifestyle is a Canadian luxe launchwear apparel company that pushes the boundaries of fashion by combining sustainability and comfort, and style in a way that inspires confidence and reinvents the look of luxury. Back in August 2020, Stacy received her first seed funding, and currently she is raising more capital to make her dream a reality of getting her fashion brand to the forefront in the fashion industry. We continue with our journey in this equity crowdfunding podcast series. The goal of this series is to give you insight into this type of capital raising from different angles so you can decide the best strategy for you. Knowledge is power. In episode 105, 106, 107 and 108, which are part of this podcast series, you have learned about The online platform you can use to raise capital through equity crowdfunding. The key pillars you need to have in place for marketing and business finances. The due diligence processes. The team you need to have in place. The legal aspect of raising capital. The type of hybrid financing you can do for your business. And how to create a financial story before raising capital. In today's episode with Stacey Martin, which is the fifth episode in this equity crowdfunding podcast series, you will learn another story from the angle of a business that is in the middle of her equity crowdfunding campaign with FrontFunder, an online equity crowdfunding platform based in Canada. Stacy also shared the changes she made in her business before raising capital. This podcast series will help you as a female founder and CEO to understand the benefit, risk, and process of raising capital through equity crowdfunding so you can decide what is best for you and your business. You're listening to Her CEO Journey, the business finance podcast for mission-driven women entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Christina Shahli. If you are new here, a big warm welcome. If we are not connected on LinkedIn, please reach out and say hi because that's where I hang out and share my business finance tips. If you have been listening to this podcast for a while and you are a regular listener, I want you to know I appreciate you. My podcast won't be around without your support. This is a free weekly show where my guests and I want to inspire you to balance between mission and profit, to create an impact in this world, and to achieve financial equality through your business for good. Knowing that women founders, especially people of colors, are in disadvantaged position when raising capital, this means we, unfortunately, need to be more confident all around. Not only showing confidence in the business vision, but you also want to show confidence in understanding your financial numbers inside out and able to answer how are you going to use the funding, how those funding will contribute to the updated valuation, What is your exit strategy? How long before you need an additional capital injection? You are a founder. You are a visionary, the brain behind your business. You are growing your business, wearing all the hats. But have you owned your financial numbers? Are you ready to share your vision with the investors, showing that your business is sustainable and profitable, that you can deliver your vision? Don't see your financial numbers as your enemy. Instead, switch your mindset to see financial numbers as a way of storytelling your vision back up with data. Let me share actionable tips on how you can bring your financial story to life so you don't see your financial number as your enemy. Tip number one, identify patterns, trends, gaps, and opportunity your ability to gather the historical data from marketing, sales, human resources, supply chain, inventory, and production can reveal some stories. For example, are you focusing on the right product mix? Are you spending on the right marketing channel? More importantly, you need to support your historical data with research on the current market condition so you can project for the future. Tip number two. Understand the key drivers for each business process I mentioned earlier. This is where the stories start to form. Let's use some examples so you can have a vision on how to use key driver to form stories. Inventory turnover is X days. Then you can use this information to start planning for a special sale so you can maintain a low inventory level. If you want to achieve X dollars in revenue in 12 months, then work backward to determine maybe how many salespeople you need to hire. If your website traffic is X visitor with a conversion rate of Y, then what would be your estimated online sales for the week, month, quarter, and so on? Do you see where I'm going here? I love what-if analysis because it allows businesses to plan ahead and proactively take action to minimize any negative impact. And here's tip number three, create your forward looking views and impress your investors. Once you have your historical data, combine your historical data with your vision, build your financial forecast to answer possible questions from investors. Make sure you are building a reasonable forecast, not too conservative, but not too optimistic either. If you have a plan to raise capital in the future to grow your business for good and you need help to build, maintain, and update your financial forecast so you can have free time to focus on finding and building relationships with the right investors, let's chat. Book a time with me at kristinashahli.com forward slash Let's Chat. I have also created a podcast series specifically for growth stage businesses that are ready to set up the key pillars in business finances. And you can find this podcast series at Christinashali.com forward slash podcast series. Now, let's find out Stacy's CEO journey. Stacy Martin, welcome to her CEO journey. Thanks for having me. Before we dive into equity crowdfunding, what I want you to share first with your audience is your journey in building Stacey Martin Lifestyle.
0: Yes, so my journey has been different than most, I would say. I started my career as a professional performing artist. I danced since I was a little child, and when I was 17 years old, I started dancing professionally. I danced on Broadway in New York City and it was my time when I was dancing in New York City on Broadway that I really found a gap in the marketplace in fashion between fitness and fashion clothing. I wanted to make a bridge between those two things because I would see women who loved, loved, loved to be in their fashion clothing, but they were uncomfortable. I'd be living in my gym clothes or my dance clothes and I was so comfy, but it didn't look good. It wasn't polished. So I thought, what can I make that would bring these two things together. So I started my own fashion line. I I learned to make patterns. I got a sewing machine. Well, I had a sewing machine as a child, but I brought it back up and I started sewing my own pieces, really made out of sustainable fabrics, sweatshirt and t-shirt fabrics, but designing it in tailored blazers and evening dresses and pencil skirts and wrap sweaters. And I started selling it to friends and family. And then I had a local boutique ask if I wanted to sell it in their boutique. And I did that and that's where it kind of began. So I was selling my company was first called Cania. I've been doing that for about 15 years. We had generated over a million dollars in sales and it was really, really good. But it was just this year, last year, 2020 in August when I rebranded to Stacey Martin Lifestyle. And that whole rebrand came because I felt a need to push this further than what it was. It was still a mom and pop shop, even though I was very, very successful, but I needed to pivot and make it more. I needed to bring awareness to the fact that females don't are not normally the business executives, not the ones that you see, that black females only get 0.5 percent chance of getting funding, that in the fashion industry, it's predominantly a male run industry and only 14 percent are females. I got seed investment in August and now I'm forging forward and I'm doing equity crowdfunding. And that's where I'm at today. Why is necessary
1: for you to rebrand this?
0: Yeah. So there's a couple of reasons. First of all, Kenya is so dear to my heart. I love Kenya. The wording Kenya is actually West African and it means light. So I wanted people to to find the light that lies within them and to never let their light be dimmed. It still is that, but people can't pronounce Kenya. (laughs) They would always say Kenya, Kenaya, Kanye West. (laughs) The name was not helping because people couldn't understand it or spell it very easily, phonetically. Then when I was in St. Kitts and Nevis, which is where my family is from, my heritage, I was pitching to do a whole bunch of shows there because they have a, a very big level of celebrities and people that go to travel there. And I was going to pitch shows there and they kept introducing me and saying, oh, Kenya, Kenaya, Keninia. And I thought, oh, goodness, nobody knows what the company is called. And then one of the people introducing me said, can I just call you Stacey Martin? And I thought, oh, my goodness, my name is Stacey Martin, (laughs) you know, um, and you look at big brands and you think of Tom Ford and Tommy Hilfiger and Michael Kors and Bessie Johnson. And, you know, you think of these names and it's it's just a name and it's a simple name, a name that can be internationally heard from anywhere from different walks of life. And they can hear Stacey Martin and understand what that is.
1: Can you share what
0: were your challenges in the early days? I found the major challenge was actually finding the information that you already had ideas of in your mind. How do you find the manufacturing? How do you find the fabric mills? How do you find the people to sew? How do you find the stores to sell? How do you find the sales reps? It's kind of all the same question. And it really is just a matter of networking and talking and continuing to spread the word and ask for what you want. That's literally what it it came down to. And that was a solution for every single challenge was basically just keep asking.
1: But you didn't have an entrepreneur background, or did you? No. Okay. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I did not. And you didn't have a design background either.
0: No, I did not. Okay. I had a dance background, and I always accredit my dance background to where I am today. As a dancer, it's precision. It's do it again. It's do it again. It's do it until it's the best it can be. It is hard. It's relentless. It's all the things that you have to think about in business. It shows through dancing. There's so many times when I'd be doing a dance competition or a dance audition where you think that you've got it and you think that you're going to be the one that is going to get it. And you don't, and you get let down. And then you can be sad for a day, but you can only be sad for that day. Then you gotta get back up and keep going. You gotta have thick skin because not everyone is gonna like your dance. And the same thing, not everybody is gonna like your business. But it's not about just that one person that saw that. It's about the masses. There could be a niche market of people that really love what you're doing. So I feel a lot of my entrepreneurial skills were based through being a performing artist and Performing artists are also self-employed. I never really had a formal job, so I was always just sole proprietor. And in that, it's still the same idea, whether it's doing commercials or movies or theater, you're still promoting yourself, almost like you're promoting and selling a product. Your product is
1: designed, made in Canada, but the material are basically sustainable, natural materials sourced from outside Canada. And then you also ensure that it's being produced ethically because you want to minimize impacts on the environment. Now, normally, when you are doing all the good things for people and the planet, you are being responsible, that comes with a cost from the very beginning. So how did you finance your business at the beginning?
0: Through my dancing. Because I was dancing on Broadway, I did have a fairly good income. This so was able to fund myself to put money into finding the mills, to finding the manufacturing or whatnot at the beginning of any entrepreneurial journey there needs to be funding from somewhere. And most of the time, it's not going to be from people that are going to believe in you right off the top because you haven't proven yourself. You haven't been able to show of what you're doing. But if you can do it self-funded or get a loan or something like this, it really helps at the beginning to get the business up and running.
1: So did you get a loan at the beginning?
0: I didn't. No, I never had a loan at all. I literally took it small steps, like a snowball. So I would have a little bit of extra money. I put that money into manufacturing or buying a sewing machine. Then I would sew each piece myself. Then I would sell those products at a trade show. I would hustle really hard to sell them. I would take the money that I made from that trade show, and then I would get more fabric or make a new design. And it, would just, it just kind of snowballed on itself by taking the money that I had made from sales or from wholesale or from trade shows, using that money to grow the business. And that's why I was in it for so many years because I didn't have any loans. I didn't have any capital funding or Seed Round or any of those things before. It was literally just the grassroots guerrilla marketing of selling a little bit, putting it back in, selling a little bit and putting it back in.
1: Why it matters to you to create a product that is using sustainable materials, making sure that it's being produced
0: with ethical practices. It started more in the way of, I want my skin to be able to breathe. I found that I'd be wearing these nylons and polyester fabrics. And I'm wondering like, why am I so hot? Why is this itchy? Why can't I move the way I want to move? Why do I feel uncomfortable? So it started by just like almost a vanity of how can I get fabric that felt good? You don't want to spend money on something and then your body can't breathe in it. And so I started to look up sustainable fabrics and I saw how beautiful sustainable fabrics are, how good they feel against your skin. And I'm very like, I don't know if you would call it spiritual or just in tune with my soul. And I felt your fabric is the thing that's closest to your body. It's the thing that touches your skin. And if you can feel incredible in that fabric, that the fabric is holding you or hugging you, you move differently, you feel better, and it, it really can depict your whole life, how you run about your day. So you
1: are raising 1 million capital through equity crowdfunding. And you did mention there's only a small percentage of venture capital that goes to Black women and even in women in general as well. Now, why equity crowdfunding? Why you don't choose to do debt financing
0: or maybe a hybrid? It was basically a thought process of how can I get the word out, also build the brand and also build community and buyers for after the brand is funded. But I thought if I could be 18% community owned, then those people, those 18% to be proud that they're representing this company, proud that they're a part of this company, and they're going to tell their friends, it helps to grow the brand. And there's a lot of new supporters that are thinking, you know what, I would love to support a female entrepreneur, a Black entrepreneur, someone who's looking at sustainability and doing things good for the environment. I want to be part of that 18%. And we thought each and every person that's part of this 18% is now part of the team and they're going to actually extend the word. And that's really what it's about. If I were to get the money from one place, amazing, it's great. But then you have to now do the legwork or more legwork to get that word out after it's funded. So you want
1: investors that are passionate about your product and also passionate about seeing your brand grow bigger.
0: That's exactly it. And I think most people who are, who see me and who know the brand, they just tend to be very much that passion driven investor, somebody who wants to make a change, somebody who wants to, who sees what I'm doing and says, wow, I've never seen a sweatshirt made like that before. Or why does that dress look so good or feel so good? I've never felt fabric so nice. And it's those kind of people that really then start to tell their communities about it. And so it can really, like, once again, the snowball, it can really snowball quickly for there to be more, you know, words out as to what the brand is.
1: So tell me a little bit, how are you planning to use this fund? Because it's a million
0: dollars. Yeah. So we have a use of proceeds in four different areas. 25% is going to go to staffing. I do have a lot of contract workers that work with me, but I don't have anyone that's full-time. I've been doing this all myself, in a sense. Um, So it will be like hiring a production manager, uh, marketing manager who are in-house, who can actually help to oversee those those details. 33% is going to go to inventory. So inventory means making the products, making the Stacey Martin lifestyle collection. Also, we have a collaboration with Nevis Tourism Authority. So we're making a a collection that's specific to Nevis within that inventory as well. But the inventory is going to be a lot of it's going to be ready, ready to order. So it's not going to be a lot of waste in inventory like most companies. Another 33% on digital marketing. That's going to be, you know, social media marketing, email marketing, any sort of thing in the in the digital marketing space, referral programs, all that sort of thing. And then the last 9% is going to be for infrastructure, building our fulfillment center. So we do have an area in Ottawa, we have a storefront in Ottawa. The storefront is, it will still be a storefront a little bit because we do like the kind of home feel of, You know, people are being able to come in and see the products and we kind of test different products on customers as well. But we do have the ability in there to have a fulfillment center where all of our online sales will get fulfilled out of in that area, plus legal and administration and that sort of thing will be the last 9%.
1: So what would be your valuation after this financing round? 5.5 million.
0: When do you think you're going to need the next financing? We're looking at doing the next financing in, in about 18 to 24 months. But because we're going to be selling right away, it's going to be a little bit different than most companies. Our target goal is to sell quite a bit once we do get up and running. It won't be the same as most companies where they're just building the product all the way from the top because we do have a lot of the information already done. The intellectual property is already there in terms of patterns, fabric mill connections and manufacturing connections. Most startup companies have to spend a lot of time Kind of figuring those things out and building what the product is. Whereas we're fortunate to be able to have from the years of experience that I had, we already have the intellectual property of what the patterns are, knowing which products sell the best, which ones work, which mills are the best. So we can kind of just go to sales right away. Doing the second round of funding will be incorporating a new level into the business, not just doing exactly what we're doing right now. So I want to incorporate a whole new digital space, which I won't tell you fully about, but it's um, really building up the company through the digital process, because I feel like going forward into fashion, there's going to be even less and less direct to customer integration, and it's going to be way more just the digital space. Are you planning
1: to expand globally as well, or Stacey Martin is already globally right now?
0: No, right now we do mainly Canada and the US. I do have some customers who have bought from Ireland and this, that from online, but we don't really promote it there. So most people who have purchased pieces from overseas have been travelers who have seen us because our boutique store is in downtown, the heart of the Byward market. So we do get some customers that are, you know, over there, but we would want to expand by promoting it to international sales.
1: So if anyone asks
0: you, what is your exit strategy, Stacy, what would you say? I would say my exit strategy is to sell it in, in approximately six years. I did put this company together knowing that it would have an exit. I still want to be part of it. I always want to be in it because I feel that a lot of the ideas and the, the sentiments and the feeling, I would love to still have input in that.
1: At the beginning of the conversation, you said you have no entrepreneurship background. Now, 15 years later, you're just throwing me all these numbers. I know like $5.5 million after post-financing and in 18 to 24 months, you already know that your next round of financing and then you already know your exit strategy. When you are approaching any investors or even you are approaching lenders, you are basically marketing your business. You are marketing yourself. You're marketing your vision. But behind those marketing, there are financial numbers that you need to know at your fingertip. So when you are being asked, you know right away you can be confident. Now, how did you learn all these financial numbers and the understanding
0: of your financial numbers? To be honest, naturally as a child, I always loved math. And I think it was a, it was one of the subjects that I quite liked. And I just it it kind of just stuck with me. I didn't realize when I first started Kenya how much of this information I just had in my mind. I would know the meters of fabric, how much it costs, and how much it would cost to make each garment. For example, if a fabric costs, you know, $10.90 and we need to have four meters of that fabric, then how much the cost needs to be four times that in order to sell it to get a profit, knowing that if we did wholesale, my mind would just naturally do it. That's kind of the way that I, I just operated for the whole 15 years of my business. Two years ago, I would say, let me go with a backstory. In 2015, I did Toronto Fashion Week and a gentleman named Adam Myron was at the show And he was watching me at the show by 2017. I did New York Fashion Week. He had heard about that as well. He had followed me on Facebook and had seen kind of my growth. Adam is one of 100 Canadians to have started a business and in six years made a billion dollars. So he was watching my hustle and my drive and he had approached me to invest in my company So fast forward since 2017, for the last two years now, Adam has been my business advisor. So we meet every week and he basically advises me on all of these different things. So a lot of the things that I knew already, he had me now put them into what does that really mean in business? I didn't know what it was, like the margins. I know them now. Back then, I only knew them based on my kind of paper towel math, where I would just know how to do it, where he was like, that what you're doing right there is a margin, you know, and that what you're doing right there is the valuation of the brand. So I did it naturally, but he kind of gave me focus on to what that is. Then I hired a CFO this year. Part of the use of proceeds with the seed capital um, was to hire a, a virtual CFO What we did was it was kind of a joke, but we said, you know, just lay Stacy down and let download her brain because she has all the information in there, but it doesn't have a place because I didn't know how to compartmentalize it. I didn't know how to, where to put it or what that meant, but I knew what I was doing. So with the CFO, we were able to now look at all the numbers and know that this is what you were doing when you were doing that. And this is what this was when you were doing this. And the thing is, you know, at the beginning, it was a bit scary because I thought, I don't know numbers. I don't know, you know, Google Sheets and spreadsheets and all this business lingo. But once you learn it and you know it, you don't forget it. It's like one plus one is two. It's always two. It doesn't switch. And I think, you know, for any entrepreneur who might be listening don't be afraid of it. Don't walk away from it. You know, you really can learn so much so quickly. If you would to ask me these questions about exit strategy and projections and valuation, just even two years ago, I wouldn't have been able to answer those questions questions the same way. Whereas now I know my use of proceeds. I know the four, you know, the four parts of what that's going to be and the percentages of what those are and what the margins are on the clothes. And it's, it's empowering to know it. It actually feels quite good. So I encourage anyone to, to really, really look into it. And that's the thing that changes business. That is business in the end. That's really what it is.
1: Yes. It's very interesting that you said that you have everything in in your head. You were doing it in your head, and then that's absolutely what your virtual CFO basically brings to the table, like basically sit down with you and then say, okay, let's run through the number, let's build this business model, let's build this forecast, and let's know your cash flow so we can make this a successful brand. Can you give an example the immediate benefit that you can see by hiring your CFO
0: back in August, I would say? The immediate benefit is being able to know what I just said, because anyone you go to at any level of financing, if you don't have the answers to those questions, they're not going to take you seriously. So I think even before looking at the benefit of, you know, knowing the margins and saving money and, you know, tax benefits and all these things you can say Yes, there's so many more benefits, but just at the grassroots level, just knowing what those things are, it just empowers you because people won't take you seriously in the business world if you don't do it. And unfortunately, as a woman, I feel you have to be even stronger. You have to know it even more. Because we're already at a disadvantage, and as a black woman, I'm even more at a disadvantage. So I have to have those numbers together. I have to be able to articulate them correctly and know exactly what I'm talking about. Because if I come in and say, "Oh, I, I'm not sure. What did you mean by that?" and I know it in my head, but I don't know it on out, they're not listening to you. You don't have a second chance. Yeah,
1: because I think one of the benefit is that once you put all your vision into the numbers you know exactly when you're going to have like a cash flow gap, when you need the financing. What is the value of your business if you use the fund to grow it? Because technically, all the breakdown you just provided about creating a 33% digital marketing and then you have like 9% to infrastructure, which is your fulfillment center, it's all to bring in revenue. But at the end of the day, when you bring in the revenue, you also need to understand how are you going to invest your money, especially for your business, because you care so much about sustainable materials. And then you also want to make sure that you are running a business that care for the people that works in it, that is investment. And sometimes you don't see the profitability right away. And then as a business owner, if you think that you're putting investment and then you're going to get the return of investment in 12 months, it may be longer.
0: Yeah, it's for sure. And it's funny, my my virtual CFO, when I first met her, you know, I was a little bit nervous and apprehensive. I've been doing this for so many years without one. And I thought, is she going to judge me? Does she know me? Oh, gosh, what is it going to be like? And she was so wonderful because she said numbers are just a different way of telling a story. And when she said it like that, it really put me at ease. And I, she's like, it just, it's just telling a story. She's like, Stacey, you're a storyteller. You love to market. You like to make, create, you know, fabrics and you're in fashion and you're very creative. And she's like, don't think of the numbers as so linear and so scary. Just think of it as another story. She goes because the the story of the numbers is what dictates what you're able to do. Exactly. And by her saying that, I was like, oh my goodness, she's the best <laughs> because I really was able to then say. What is the story? When is the cash flow gap going to be? And when am I going to rise? And when am I going to sell this? And when am I going to need more money? And it's just all part of a story. It's really just a matter of what does the story say in that next chapter?
1: When I work with client, it's more the holistic approach. Because I work with social enterprises, I basically saying, what is your vision? What are the must-have in your business? If you want a sustainable product, okay, let's make it work. But, you know, you were talking about margin earlier, you know, in your head, you may be thinking that product A is more profitable than product B. But when
0: you look at the margin, it may not be the case. Or sometimes you like product A more than product B. It might be what you like. You know, I say, I love this product. It makes me feel good. You know, I'm very much about that. You heard the beginning of this interview. But really, it's not really about just what makes you feel good and what you like more. It's really based on do you get a better margin out of that product? Should you be selling that product more in this area that you're going to be selling or you're selling in Vancouver or Edmonton? I know specifically based on those two cities, which one sells better, what product sells better, what number of products, what color, what size, all of these things then go into, because in fashion, you know, color changes based on pricing. I mean, so like you might pay for when you're paying for the fabrics It might be a little bit less because when the fabric is dyed, for example, a scour or a light color fabric is less money than a darker colored fabric because it's using more dye. So when they dye it, it actually ends up being more money. So even basically little things like this, you might think you like the black sweater that's this, but it might be the white one that you make way more money on. <laughs> you know, So it's, it's really just a matter of knowing and once again, knowing that story, being able to tell that story, articulate it and sell it accordingly to what that is. So before you
1: hire a CFO, what did you use in your business in terms of financial tool?
0: My mind. <laughs> I didn't use much. I didn't have, I, you know, I, like I said, I'm so grateful for Adam for introducing me to all of these numbers. He said to me that he was quite the same. And that's why he saw such a, a parallel between him and I, because he was very passionate and creative as well, and not necessarily looking only at the numbers. So one of the first things as his business advisor to me, or as a business advisor to me, was to get a CFO. And getting the CFO, I was then able to really look at what what it is that that I'm doing, you know, really outline what that, what it is.
1: Because then you can use all the numbers, all the story that you gather through the numbers into your marketing. I also believe that as a founder, we have the responsibility to make it happen. To have a responsible process behind the scene to be able to report to the investor and basically said, this is what we are doing. And there is nothing set in stone, as we already know in 2020, like what happened, right? Nobody expected that. But at least when you have everything gathered into financial numbers and then you know the story inside out, as a founder, you can go back to your investor and basically I didn't accomplish this because of X, Y, and C, And then here's my solution because I'm able to pivot to a different thing, right? I think it's that sense of responsibility as well, because I received the money to grow my business. Let's use this money responsibly. Now,
0: in hindsight, if you didn't raise capital, would you hire a CFO? No, I wouldn't have known to do it. I didn't feel at the time where I was the entrepreneur that I was, even though I was making great sales, I guess I was never educated on it. I didn't know that I needed one. I didn't know what they did. To me, when I hear CFO, that's for big brands. That's not for startups. It's not for small businesses.
1: But if you had known about it and then you know exactly what they're
0: doing, would you hire them? 100%. If I knew right now what I knew before, I would have done it from the beginning. Because I think a lot of the times for entrepreneurs, they're so passionate and creative as to what they're making that they don't always make the correct choices on how to get that thing out into the public. And sometimes we get so passionate about the product and how good the product looks and how well it was marketed and how this on all these things, but we haven't sold any. Having a CFO from the get-go, once again, just tells the story. So many times I've had an idea that I'm going to do this event or do this thing. And I did it and I'd come out of it being upset, thinking, wow, I just made $50,000, but how come I don't have any money in the bank? I didn't understand back then. How do they make all that money, but I have no
1: cash. money to show for yeah, it? You have I have no cash,
0: cash flow. Yep. And then when I look back at it, I would say, oh, like I remember specifically going to an event and I did amazing at that event. We made so much in sales. It was great. But then when I looked at it, how much the staffing, the, the fabric that I had to, the overstock that I had to have, the hotels, the flights, the, the food, the, the lighting, the flooring, the, the, all the things that took to make that show operate was the same $50,000 or more than I made at that show maybe there was another way that it could have stayed home <laughs> and, <laughs> and sold two things and made more money, you know? So really it comes down to, it's not all the beautiful, wonderful things that we always think about in, in business or the, in sales of business or marketing. It's based on what do the numbers actually reflect? Cause that's what the story tells. That's when you see, can this company sustain itself or not? And I think, you know, we were talking about the investors and Yeah, we don't know, nothing is for certain. I would love for people to invest in my company that'd be incredible. I'm saying things that I would love for you to follow and guide and know, but it might not work out that way. But what I do know is that with a CFO and with the knowledge that I have, that I can pivot. And that's the really big, important thing. If something happens that wasn't, it's like imagining you're going one way down the road and now there's an accident, you have to turn the car to a different way. Mm Having a CFO allows you to drive that car, you see the accident, you know the different route you can take. You can look at the map and say, okay, great, we're still getting to this destination, we now just have to take another route. That's what that actually allows you to do instead of just now standing at the crash site, wondering, oh goodness, what's happening? I don't know what to do. Because we know that the outcome is only one outcome and where we're going to or wanna head to is there no matter what. It's just a matter of what route. So with the CFO, we build the story of the map that we're going to be taking. That's the map that we want to do. If we get into a roadblock, we take another road, but we're still going to get to that level. And so I think it gives assurance to any investor to know that, wow, well, she doesn't just have one one road. It's not just one way because you know COVID can happen. No. Anything, can, anything can happen. But when something happens. It's not the end of the world if you know how to shift and take a different route to go to the same place. So with 2020, what happened with COVID, how did you pivot your business? It was detrimental. I was doing Kenya at the time, my startup. And when I was doing it, everything closed. My storefront closed. I still have the store, but I had to close the store. I do public speaking that closed. I did a special events. They closed, trade shows closed, everything. Everything that did, all revenue sources closed. I was lucky to have money. So I was able to sustain myself at the beginning. And I really felt like, how am I going to do this? Because I didn't have a CFO at this time. I didn't have any way to sell the product. I was doing online sales, but not hugely. And I knew that I was already in the middle of rebranding Stacey Martin. So I didn't know what to do. But you know, it ended up being that, unfortunately, after George Floyd was killed, I realized that I have a bigger purpose. This is more than me. This is not just about myself and my brand. This is about the diverse community. It's about bringing awareness to black businesses that don't have the opportunity it's about bringing awareness to females it's about bringing awareness to sustainability all these kind of my social conscious mindset just kind of fired off and i thought i have to do this in a way covid became a blessing for me because my store was now closed and i had 100% time to focus on how do i want to grow this brand How do I want to shift it and make it better than it ever was before so that we can come out of this stronger and better than we were? I was reading Shoe Dog, Nike's Shoe Dog story, Mm -hmm. and it was sort of the same thing. You know, he started out with $500 and he was doing that in the 60s and just striving and grinding and this and that. He didn't want to get venture capital. He didn't know what it was like to get funding, but he just kept working and grinding and then he got it. Look where Nike is now. You know, so it really was just a matter of once you have the knowledge and experience in what you're doing, you have the experience of grinding. COVID gave me a chance to kind of stop and think about what it is. And now I'm ready to take the band and scale to where I wanted to get to.
1: Stacey, is there anything that you want to share with my audience that you haven't
0: shared I guess I would just say that I would love for you to be an investor in this not because of just myself but for what it stands for and I would love to give you the opportunity to go on to front funder and invest. I was talking to front funder and I asked them how many black females have ever gotten through. And they said none. Yes, I know that. They said none. Yes, I know. And I thought, what do you mean none?
1: I know what you mean. And then I have a similar question to them as well. I said, how many people of colors have gone through FrontFunder? How many women? If you look at all the past crowdfunding on their platform, you see a
0: lot of men it's all men. And it's not to be mean. I mean, I guess it's, it's rooted, right? Because men are the ones that think of investment. Even this weekend, when I was talking to people saying, this is coming, I want you to invest. I would love for you to have the opportunity. Imagine if you had the first in, in Nike and Nike is now where it is today. You'd be so proud. And women would generally say, Oh, let me talk to my husband. Oh, my husband does the investments. I don't really do that. And I thought, us as women, we don't we don't allow ourselves to just have the knowledge to invest, to know what that's like, whether being the entrepreneur or the investor. You know, and I think it's up to us as well. You know, it's one thing to say, oh, you know, on Front Funders platform, it's mainly white males, and it is. But why is that? Is it because it's just them or is it because we haven't gone for it? I feel like I wanna be a representation of the change. I don't want you just to invest in me because you think, oh, she's a minority woman. I want you to see that what I'm doing is actually mindful and smart and will grow and scale. But at the same time, knowing with all those things that you're also supporting and paving the way for future minority leaders. How did you find out about equity crowdfunding in the first place? It was actually through my business advisor. He had watched a TED talk with Peter Paul, who is the C the owner yeah, and founder yeah, of uh, FrontFunder. Front Funder. Yeah. yeah. So he had seen the TED talk with him and he thought that this was a great platform because of the fact that it's community-based. And we thanked Peter Paul for even having something like this, because it opens the door for people who may not have had the same opportunity. You know, if I were to walk into Bay Street in Toronto or whatnot and walk in and say, this is what I'm doing. First of all, I'm in fashion. Now I'm a woman. Now I'm a black woman. (laughs) We already know black women only get 0.5% chance of funding. And now it's fashion. It's so bad to say, but the chances of me getting funded were very, very little. It was less than 1%. And that's not even in, that's in tech. That's mainly tech. The ones that did get it, you know, in fashion, it's like, I don't even know what the numbers are. It probably is actually zero. This way gives me the opportunity and not only the opportunity to make the capital, but also to have conversations like what we're having right now, to build awareness, to know that what that is, because when you have awareness, sometimes it's not that you didn't feel like you wanted to change. You just didn't know. You weren't exposed to it. Stacy, where can people find you? So you can find me on my website at www.stacymartinlifestyle.com. That's S-T-A-C-E-Y-M-A-R-T-I-N lifestyle.com. And my Front Funder page is www.frontfunder, (laughs) F-R-O-N-T-F-R-U-N-D-R slash Stacey Martin. Is there any minimum requirement to invest? minimum requirement to invest is $250 that will you get to be a shareholder with that. Um, You can also do the company is also RRSP eligible. So if this comes in before the RRSP contribution closes, there is that ability to either transfer from current RRSPs, or if you wanted to top up your RRSPs, you can do that as well.
1: And this is only for Canadian investor, right? Yes. Perfect. Stacey, thank you so much for being here. Thank
0: you. Thanks for having me. And thanks for doing what you do and for having this conversation. And anybody who's out there, please invest if you can and go for whatever you're doing and never stop.
1: Thank you, Stacey. Thank you. And that brings us to the end of another show. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Her CEO Journey, the business finance podcast for women entrepreneurs. If you want to create a proactive financial plan and process for your business so you are ready to weather the financial storm over the next few months, let's chat and see what's possible for you. Book in a time to speak with me at christinashali.com forward slash let's chat.